All right, we're going to start off with a little bit of crowd participation this morning. But don't, don't worry, you can stay exactly where you are. Okay, oh, yeah, we're excited about that. Cool, all right. Uh, you, you can stay where you are. And, and if, if you aren't familiar, if, if you haven't been here, if it's your first time, like, don't, it's fine. Like, don't, don't worry about it because I'm actually going to have your prompt up on the screen for, for everybody. But over the last few weeks, we have been talking about our mission as a church. And today is our final day of talking about that. And somebody's like, woohoo! Yeah, because, you know, you're like, man, I, you got to repeat something at least seven times before it finally sticks. And so this is like the sixth week that we've been talking about it. And it's cool. But I, I, just, wanna, I just want us to say together, actually, I'm not going to say it because I have a microphone on. And I don't want to drown it out. But what, what is our mission statement here at Velocity? Oh, no. That's not, that's not going to work. Again, it's going to be on the screen for everybody, I think, here in a second. There we go. One, two, three. I know, the crowd participation thing, you weren't ready for it. I didn't give you enough lead time. It's fine. It's my fault. I, I, take, it, I take it on. And, and here's what we said from the very beginning. This is not just our church's mission statement. So from an organizational standpoint, we didn't sit down and say, oh, like, how are we going to be you know, the only church who has, who has this one mission in our community. No, this is the mission for every church across the globe. Because this mission doesn't come up from us, you know, workshopping this in a committee somewhere in a back room. This comes from scripture, and it comes from a couple of the very basic foundational things that Jesus says, hey, this is, this is just what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so collectively, as a church, as a body of believers who are following Jesus together, this is what it looks like to be on mission, on task for what, what it means to be a disciple. And so it comes from a couple different texts, and we've, we talked about these at the, the very beginning message of this sermon series. But it's worth talking about them again and reminding ourselves of what, what they are. Matthew 28, Jesus, one of the last things he says his, to his disciples is the Great Commission. And he says, go everywhere teaching people, baptizing them, and to do everything that I have commanded to you. And, and that's what he said. He says, this is the mission for us as disciples. So that's one of the, one of the foundation things that we, we're called to do. And the second thing is the greatest commandment. So we've got the great commission and we've got the greatest commandment where Jesus says, the greatest thing that we can possibly do is love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those are, those are the things. When it comes to breaking it down into very simple, basic level, that's what it looks like and that's what it means to be a Christian. But each of those words have a, have a driving force in theology and understanding that helps us to actually accomplish and not just have knowledge that that's what the mission is, but to actually do it um, in our lives and actually live it out. And that's why we strive to be a church that meets people where they are so that we might help them find Jesus and love God. Some of you uh, remember that this is a callback to the very first message of the series uh, th that I talked about these things, but I, I wonder, and I don't know, maybe some of you noticed that I left out a really critical piece of information from one of those texts. It's in Mark chapter 12, and there's something that I didn't keep reading that Jesus says within that greatest commandment that's really key and really important. And the reason I didn't do that is because I wanted to save it for today. Because today we're talking about our last word, which is our first word of the mission statement, and that is helping. Helping people find Jesus and love God. In Mark chapter 12, as religious leaders are debating with Jesus, it inspires a scholar to come up to ask Jesus and ask him, which of all the commandments, which is the most important one? And as Jesus does, he tells the guy an answer, but he doesn't just give him one. 
he keeps going. And so in Mark chapter 12, in verse 31, Jesus continues and says, the second is this. So the first is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so in typical Jesus fashion, I mean, he kind of lets the guy know that, well, you, you just asked the wrong question. And so here's the answer that you really, here's the answer that you really need. It's not just one, it's actually two. And the reason it's two is because you can't have one without the other. We don't love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength if we don't love our neighbor. And conversely, we don't love our neighbor if we don't love God. This actually comes up in another conversation that Jesus has with another expert on the Mosaic Law, and this is in Luke chapter 10. And you can flip there. We're not going to read through the text, just a couple verses at the end. But some of you are going to be familiar with this story. This expert in the law comes and asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus asks him what he thinks, and his answer to Jesus is the greatest commandment, the same answer that he gives in Mark chapter 12. So this expert comes and he says, well, I think it's the love Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies to him, and he says, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you're going to live. And, and Jesus isn't talking about, like, just for the next few years. He's talking about you're, you're going to live eternally with, with God. But there's a slight issue, and if you keep reading, you understand that this expert in law has, has, a, has a problem. And it all has to do with what we mean when we say the word neighbor. Who, who, who is my neighbor? Is it the person who lives next to me? Is it the person that I, I like that lives in my neighborhood? Who, who is my neighbor? Who is that person? If we can limit the definition to people we want to be closely associated with, you know, we might actually be able to accomplish this whole loving God and loving people thing on our own. And that was actually the belief at the time, is that neighbor was a very exclusively defined term. And it only referred to people who were fellow Jews and people who were living as God wanted them to live. And so this expert in the law responds to Jesus after Jesus says, hey, do these things and you're, you're gonna be in good shape with God. And he says, but who is my neighbor? And the reason he asked that question is because he wants the definition to be limited. He doesn't want it to refer to just anybody because he knows just as you and I know that sometimes we have a hard time with loving certain people. And it could be for all kinds of different reasons. But for all of us, and let, me, let me just not even talk about all of us. Let's just talk about me. For me, there are certain people that are very tough for me to consider that they are my neighbor and very difficult for me to want to be loving to them. And this is the lead-in to one of the most memorable of Jesus' parables. This is what begins the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so for those of you who know the parable, that, that's great. For those of the, you that don't, uh, that haven't heard this story before, it kind of starts like this. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar. And it doesn't, that's not quite it. That's, that's not right, the right detail. In short, Jesus begins telling this story, this story, this parable. And he's talking about this man. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's traveling. It's a couple miles, and it's a dangerous stretch of road. He says, as this going, guy is going along, he gets mugged. So people come along, they rob him, they beat him, they leave him for dead on the side of the road. And so a priest, and so we're talking about somebody who is tasked with um, worshiping God on behalf of, of people. A priest comes along and he sees this guy laying on the side of the road dying and he keeps going. And he says, you know, a couple, couple hours later, a Levite comes along and a Levite 
A Levite is almost, almost as high up as a priest, but a little bit different. Everybody who is a priest comes from the family of, of Levites. So we're talking about as far as, far as the upper crust here, I mean, to be a Levite, like you, you are in the in crowd. And the Levite comes along and walks up to this person who's laying there half dead on the side of the road. They come up to him and they cross the road and keep going. And he says, a couple hours later, then a Samaritan comes along. Now, you, keep in mind, some of you know this, some of you don't. Samaritans were uh, very much considered to be the lowest of the low. So, um, for a lot of different reasons, but one of the, one of the big things is that they they were just not worthy. They were not uh, full-blooded Israelites. Uh, they uh, were part of uh, the history. Uh, the history of this is um, it's just uncomfortable to talk about. But they were considered to be half-breeds, and and they just they weren't they weren't considered to be worthy of anybody's time or effort when it comes to how 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 they were viewed. And so this, this person comes along who, this expert in law, as Jesus is telling me, that all the people are listening around and be like, oh, this, the Samaritans, you know, they're, they're the worst. The Samaritan comes along, and the Samaritan stops, and he helps, he helps the man. He doesn't just help the man. He, he cleans his wounds. He picks him up. He takes him a place to, to stay. He pays for the man's care, and he gives this person that he gives the man into care of extra money so that he would continue to take care of him so that he will be good by the time the guy travels back through. And so at the end of this, after Jesus tells, tells a story, he asks the expert of the law in Luke chapter 10, verse 36 and 37, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And of course, you know what the answer has to be. And he says, well, the one who showed him mercy. He didn't, he didn't even want to like specifically identify which person it was. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So imagine, imagine with me, if you will, that with the commonly accepted understanding of the day, this guy that Jesus is talking to is probably thinking, shoot. That's, that's exactly what I thought Jesus was going to say. I, I knew it. I knew if I asked, well, who, who is my neighbor? I don't know. Now he knew exactly what he was asking. He knew what the response was going to be because I think deep down we know as much as we might not want to deal with the inconvenience that people bring along with them, we don't want anyone, we don't want anyone passing us up because we're inconvenient. And so, so we know like Jesus, the way that he talks about love, the way that he talks about interacting with, with people and, and this, this idea, this commandment of loving our neighbor as ourselves. we know that regardless of what we think about somebody else or how they've treated us, like if we were lying dead on the side of the road, we wouldn't, we wouldn't not accept help from somebody who is willing to say, I'm sorry, you're, you don't have the right family lineage. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait for somebody else. Hopefully a priest or a Levite will come along. <laughs> none, of us, none of us would do that. And yet that's, that's sometimes how we treat other people. And Jesus knows that. He knows about this issue in the heart of this expert in the law. He knows about that issue within our hearts as well. Loving our neighbor as ourselves means that we're willing to help with the needs of others just as what we would want help with our own needs. <clears throat> and it is taking us from, to action that moves us from a theoretical to practical theology that recognizes, and we talked about last week, the imago Dei, the image of God present in the life of another person. And this is what Jesus is helping this expert to understand, and us as well, and the people around him, that if you are only loving people based on preferential criteria, then you aren't loving your neighbor. And you certainly aren't loving your neighbor as yourself. 
And this is what is so powerful about this parable and the way that it challenges us all and the assumptions of the people listening. Jesus doesn't ask who has the better theological background to understand what loving our neighbor means the best. Because we would say, well, the priest and Levi, I mean, it's got to be this, those two. He asked who proved to be neighborly. And of course, the answer is the person who is neighborly is the one who has compassion and mercy, the one who acts, the one who does something about it. And so the person who loves their neighbor is the person who is helping. And that's the thing that, that Jesus is saying. He's not saying that, you know, the person who is loving, loving our neighbor as ourself is the way that we think about and feel about somebody else. It's the thing that we do. It's the action that we take. It's the way that we live. And when we understand who God is and how he's loved us, what Jesus means for how we live out our faith, the shared perspective with God on our fellow man that we have, we help our fellow human beings. And let me be blunt, it's inconvenient and it's messy and it's costly to help people, particularly people that we don't want to be our neighbors, but are. All of those things are a part of it. But we desperately need it in our own lives and we desperately need to share it with other people because helping provides hope. And if none of us are helping, and if, if we aren't going out of way to help, even when it's inconvenient or mess, messy or costly, we start to lose our hope. Hope is never something that goes away. It's always available, but it doesn't always feel like it. And that's why we need each other's help to sustain it and reveal it. Sometimes just to remind us that we aren't alone. Just having someone care enough to be a part of our life and provide some sort of meaningful function, even if it's even if it's just holding open a door for somebody and making eye contact with them and smiling at them. I mean, that, that, is, a, that is a way in which we are providing hope in such a way that, that is becoming a lot more unique than it should be in our culture. But somebody's got to go forward. Somebody's got to lead in helping others to create those moments of hope. Because those moments compounded in our life as we share in those things with other people, as we provide those things with, uh, the, with other people and they provide them for us, it provides a much more hopeful outlook in life. It takes us being willing to look for those moments and take the risk that our efforts are going to be worth it, not just because it produces the results that we want, but because it fulfills God's command to love one another. Um, I just finished this really amazing documentary and it's one of those things where Anytime I watch something, I hesitate on whether or not I'm going to recommend it whole, wholeheartedly because there's a lot of language in it, and, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. But the documentary, it's, it's on Hulu, and it's called Welcome to Wrexham. And some, all right, so some of you maybe ha- have seen that. Any of you who are really big soccer fans um, or the sport that actually is football because you use your foot? Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's really interesting because two, it's two A-list actors and, and they, they buy a soccer club in, in Wales. This happened a couple, couple years ago, and it's just fascinating. If you like sports at all, like this is one of those things, I'm just let you know, my screen got blurry a couple times watching the last couple episodes. I mean, it's just, you're like, oh, sports, you know, who cares? You know, it's, it, it's amazing, and here, here's, here's why it's so incredible. Because, and I, and I know, I know there's so many different ways to look at this in a really, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for, 
kind of, you don't really believe the motivation because, you know, you think people are really just doing it for money. But, but as these guys bought this club, one of their big things that they were looking for as they were thinking about buying a soccer team together is, you know, can, can we do something in such a way that would actually help the community that this, that this team is in? And so this, this soccer club is um, the, uh, the oldest, oldest team in Wales. They have the third oldest soccer club in Europe. I mean, it's in the world. They're soccer field is the only, I keep wanting to say football field because I'm used, I've been watching the, so, so I'm like, soccer, I got to say soccer because nobody will know what I'm talking about. Their soccer club, their field is the oldest international field in the world. I mean, so it's the story thing, but all the, 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 uh, the city had been built up under industrialization, all those kinds of things. And as their job had moved out and as this team has done horrible, they've been relegated which some of you don't know what that means, and that's fine. Um, they, they, like, they haven't been doing well. They're not playing in the highest leagues. And, and it's, just, it's just a town, it's a city that could use a pick-me-up, that could use a boost. And so you're watching the show, and you realize that as, as things are happening, and I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, so I'm not going to tell you the end, but as you're watching the show and as you're seeing the interactions, documentary, as you're seeing how the approach from which these owners are taking it, it's, it's not just because they want to have a, a football club that wins all the time, a soccer team that wins all the time. It's, it's they actually want to make a meaningful impact in the community. And so as you're watching the show, the, the end of it was basically, regardless of what results might or might not be transpiring with the team and how they're doing, the, the community and the people that they had built relationships with and they were interviewing, the one thing that kept coming up that people were saying is, yeah, but now, now, things, now things look a lot more hopeful than they ever have. It's completely changed the perspective. And it, it's not because two people came in and just threw a bunch of money at this thing. It's because the way that they cared about approaching this was, hey, how, how, can, we, how can we do some good in the lives of the people who live here and are fans of this team? And so I just want you to imagine a world in which people are dedicated to helping one another and like that being the motivation. It, just imagine that with me. And I know it doesn't, I know that's not how things work. And I know that we have all had experiences that are, are not very hopeful because of how people have used us and treated us in the past. But imagine, imagine a world in which people were dedicated to helping one another and the hopefulness that that would instill that our motivations and our interactions with somebody is not, how can I step over this person to get to this place that I want to be? Or, or how can I avoid the inconvenience that this person has created in my life? But if, what, but if just by a matter of, of course, like our, our nature and our character was devoted to, how, how can I be helpful to this person and the type of hopefulness that we would experience with them? The common objections we raise are whether or not someone is deserving of our time and effort, I, I get that. Or even comparing what we believe we are owed and haven't received with the state of another. And you know, sometimes we look at somebody else and like, well, I haven't gotten this other thing, so why should I bother doing that for them? And, and maybe, maybe we deny somebody else's needs because our needs haven't, haven't, haven't been met. If someone rejects our help as we follow Christ's example, that's one thing. But to withhold the offer just isn't an option for the disciple of Jesus. And so I'm just saying, I, I know what the objections are. I know what the reasons we have for not helping people. Like, I understand all those things. 
There, there's nothing, I haven't heard anything different than what I've always, uh, I've always heard. However, like all of those reasons, all of those excuses we may give for why we're not going to help someone else, they, they fall short of the way that Jesus calls us to interact with and help and provide hope in the lives of other people. Paul explains this really clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And so we're going to read a chunk of, of, of text from, from there if you want to turn your Bibles there. Where he uses his own life as an example as he models his life according to Jesus' teachings and actions. And he's telling, he's telling the Corinthians that, listen, there are so many things as, as, as things that I've done in your life as he's writing to this, this, this letter to this church. He says, there are plenty of things I could ask from you guys that I even deserve from you that I haven't received. And I could do all those things, but I, but I don't. And I don't do that because very specifically, I want you to know that I'm not here for what I can get out, out from you. I'm here so that you might know who Jesus is. And so here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 15. He says, but I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And I, I just, from verse 20 through 23, I just want you to hear, close your eyes if you need to, or read the text. I want you to hear what Paul says. He says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." The quickest way we talk ourselves out of helping people is to focus on what we believe that we are owed. So Paul talks about the beginning. He says, I'm, I'm not going to worry about that. Um, and, and just to be blunt, nobody owes us anything. And God certainly doesn't owe us anything. And yet he gives us everything of himself. And so that's the example that he sets for us. And the second thing, the second thing we use to talk ourselves out of helping people is to focus on the fact that their problem is not our problem. But that is kind of the point, is that their problem is the same problem we have too, because we have a shared problem in the fact that we have a problem with sin. And so when Paul says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in his blessings. Uh, he's not talking about being inauthentic. He's not talking about being deceptive or two-faced. He's talking about genuinely living in such a way that, that we care about another person Enough that we don't allow our personal preferences or opinions, our likes or dislikes to determine whether or not we help another person in such a way so that they might be engaged with the good news of Jesus. We help people so that they might experience the hope that is Jesus. That's, that's our motivation, not what we can get out of them. 
Every single one of us has been helped to become the people we are today. None of us have gotten to where we are today on our own. And if we were to take a moment to consider the gratefulness we have for the people in our life that have influenced us in positive ways, not only are we inspired to reciprocate, but we also want to be those people for others in the most meaningful way possible. As Paul says, he does all that he does for others for the sake of the gospel so that he might share with them in his blessings. And that's why we start with helping in our mission. Helping people find Jesus and love God. There's a, there's a graphic that I want to put up on the screen, and it just has, has this in, in a circle here. And, and I just, just want you to see that visual because there's, this, this, is, uh, this mission is not something that there, there's a place in which we were arrive and stop and it's over. And what I mean by that is all of us have been helped at some point in our lives. All of us have been helped. Like, like we didn't just find Jesus on our own. There have been people who have been in our lives that have helped us to that point. And following Jesus in our life has developed that love for God that we have. When we get to that point, all right, let's say, let's say that in our heads we have this idea that we are, we are the most mature that we can possibly be as a follower of Jesus. Like, we, we are there. We love God. We know exactly what we're supposed to be. So what's the next step? Is to help people find Jesus and love God. It's, it's putting into practice that, that theology, that doctrine, that belief that we have, that strong faith that we have in God, and, and pouring that into other people. We help look for ways to love our neighbors, providing hope for people who have intrinsic value for having been created in God's image, who need to find faith in the one who can correct our sin brokenness, who is Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, and helps us to know and love, love in such a way where we recognize the self-sacrifice that is modeled for us by God, who is holy and righteous and deserving of worship and relationship. And when we have that relationship with him, the, the, the greatest desire, the greatest thing that we can do in our lives is to help other people come to that same, same relationship. By being hope to others, we start through helping. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples is what helping people find Jesus and love God leads to. It's what Jesus calls us into, the type of relationship. Because when we fully understand when we fully understand what God has done for us and what he has enabled in us, when we truly understand that, we can't help but wanting to share that with other people. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the deal. Like, that's why these things are the great commission and the great commandment. That's what these things lead to is because Jesus is saying, when you, when you understand the Father and what I'm modeling for you, you can't help but wanting to share that with other people. And so I, I just want to encourage you when it comes to helping others, pay attention to the Holy Spirit's leading in the things that grab your attention in the lives of other people. Because it may just be that God has equipped you to help them. And, and so maybe, maybe this, uh, there are times that you, you see things in, in other people say, oh, man, this, this person can really use, you, you, use this kind of thing. That's the Holy Spirit impressing upon you to, to do something about it. And it may not even be that. 
it may be something a whole lot more simple than that and just recognizing, hey, that, that person just dropped something on the floor. Like, let me, I had this really, let me tell you how, it can be really awkward too and silly sounding. Um, I was in the subway one time and we were going up a bunch of steps and I looked back and I saw this mom and her kid and she had this huge piece of luggage and she was about to carry it up all this huge flight of stairs. And so I looked back and I said, hey, do you want me to help with that? And she looked at me like I was insane. Which, which makes sense. I mean, as I thought about it, it's like, that was really awkward, I'm sure, because she's like, this guy's going to try to run off with my luggage. And she said, uh, no thanks, it's quite heavy. I was like, right, yes, yeah, I, I, I could tell. Like, that's, that's why I offered it. And, and, like, sometimes it's not, it's not going to go the way that you think, and I get that. But, but what I like to think is, like, hopefully if she thought beyond maybe just thinking that that was a little creepy, I don't, I don't know, that, that maybe it planted a seed in her. It's like, oh, so th- there are people that act- out there that actually recognize those kinds of things and want, want to be helpful. Those are things that we can participate. Those are things that we can participate in. Just last, last week, completely unprompted, I had somebody from our church let me know um, they have been for the last several years through an incredibly, incredibly difficult life experience. And they came up to me, and again, completely unprompted, and they just said, hey, I just want to let you know that after having been through this and gone through this, I think there's been enough time that has passed that if, if you know of somebody else who's going through this and is, had, is having this life experience, like, I'm, I'm ready to help them through that. I'm, I'm ready to t- talk with them through that. I mean, sometimes it's just, just the personal experiences that we have. That, that's one of the ways that God works them out to the good. He says, hey, you, you've got some experience in a place where it's very unique that other people might. And, and you're in a position, maybe because you understand who God is and you know what his love means for yourself, that you, you're uniquely equipped and gifted to help somebody else who might be in that same, same type of place in their life. I mean, there's so many, so many different ways that we can be engaged in helping. The, the biggest thing is, 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 is doing it, is, is being a part of it. Um, we, we talk about moments of hope. We've talked about that. We've done that for about a, a year and a half now, right, Sarah? Um, at this point, I, I might misremember the exact number, but we've served 2,975 meals. Wow. So, and, and to be quite honest, I, I'm kind of one of those guys, especially with sports, when somebody does something, you, you know, you, you shoot a three-pointer, it's like, well, that was your job, you did the thing, so you keep moving on, <laughs> you know, so let's stop and celebrate, and so I don't say that, I don't say that to, as a, as a humble brag or any of that kind of thing, I, I just, just want to point out, I think it's important to point those th- things out every once in a while, to, just to understand how much of a difference that makes, then when we take the time to do those things consistently over a period of time, like it, it, it provides hope and it, it does something real and tangible. My wife is back there teaching kids right now. Um, and she, she's doing something real and tangible that impacts, that impacts those kids. We've got a crew back there that, that's running our online service, that's running sound and lights and um, what are these called, graphics. And, and the, way that you, the way that you know that they've done a good job is if you don't realize that they're there. You, you know, it's one of those, thing, those, those thankless things. It's like, oh, that went all well, smooth. And I know for a fact 
that we have, that we have people that are impacted positively by people who are served, that are up, up here on the stage, people that are in the background that, that nobody has any clue that, that they are, people that are in the back here prepping for communion, which we're, we're getting ready to, uh, to take, take part in, um, that, that do things, that make coffee, that have things out there that delicious baked goods, you know, they just show up out of nowhere. It's amazing. It's this magical thing that clean up the, the building. Those, those little things that happen constantly that all of us benefit from just because somebody said, you know what, I'm willing to help. I'm willing to step in. Same thing affects us inside these walls, affects everyone else outside of these walls. And so let me encourage you, as we think about our mission as a church, helping people find Jesus and love God, this, this is not something that you have to be a a professional Christian to participate in. Like this is something that not only we're all called to do, but we're all able to do and we're all equipped to do. There are no small jobs. There are no small moments in anybody's life. It is the compounded hope that we participate in and provide that God uses to change entire lives and to change the entire world through Jesus. So let, let me encourage you, let me encourage us as a church family that we might live on mission, helping people find Jesus and love God. Let's pray. God, as we consider what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we ask that you just show us very clearly, because sometimes, sometimes we miss it. I know I do. Sometimes I miss the opportunities that are there for just simply for me to be Jesus to other people. So we ask that you guide us, that you help us through your Holy Spirit, who you have given us as followers of Jesus, as disciples, to, to see and understand in ways that we wouldn't on our own. God, guide us and direct us in how we might help provide hope for other people so that they might recognize that having faith in Jesus is worthwhile and that that faith in Jesus might lead to a love of God and relationship with him that he has desired from the beginning with all of us. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.